0: Good morning. I'm sure you can tell, but I went for a nine and a half mile hike yesterday. Thank you. Thank you. It's really no big deal uh, for the other hikers. <laughs> for me, I felt a little bit like I was hit by a garbage truck going 50 miles an hour while I was riding a unicycle. It was uh, pretty intense. Nine and a half. Several of the people in the church here went. Um, Leah and Chris. I'm going to miss somebody now, I know. Paul, um, Everett, Greg Smoot, uh, Mark. um, Who who am I missing? I got Chris and Leah. I got Chris and Leah. Uh, Anyway. I just wanted to honor them because they're the real MVPs. I was like, you know, in school, the last guy that was picked for soccer, and that was me. Um, Anyway, I had a great time. The first seven miles, no big deal. Um, I was pretty happy. But by seven, my body was like, what are you doing? Why are we doing this? Is this necessary? And uh, by eight miles, I was um, praying in tongues. (laughs) I was... I was just really needing the Lord to rescue me. I was praying for Kairos moment where he changed the course of my destiny, but it turned out I had to continue on, carry on. There was one point where we, I, I finally, if I, I gotta be honest, if I, I learned a lot about myself yesterday. If I was hiking with my wife, I would have been complaining on mile two. So I apologize to my wife. Guys, you brought out the best in me leave that. But then we, by mile seven or seven and a half or eight, I, I was like, I think I could use some oxygen. And so we stopped for a moment and uh, set down our bags and we were just going to take a, a breath under the trees in the shade. It was nice. And then um, Mark saw that we were about a foot away from a rattlesnake. And um, so he guided us these 12 inches to get away from the rattlesnake um, Paul thought it would be cool to sit there and stare at it for a minute. I just really wanted to go. I just wanted to get away from it. I felt that was wisdom. And uh, so then we're hiking. We've got, I'm watching my watch to see how much further we've got. And it's about a mile, I think, from what my watch is saying. I think I started my watch late. But um, I noticed that I was in the head of the pack. Now, probably because they were tired of losing me. Uh, but I was in the head, and I realized I'm I'm too exhausted um, to be situationally aware. Um, I was I was just looking at my feet and the next step I was taking. I was literally focusing on every breath that I took. So I had to stop to let some of these guys who knew what they were doing go ahead of me to see the danger that I wasn't going to see. And I'm I'm wondering if some of us. Are so exhausted, we're just not situationally aware of the dangers that are trying to grab us, trying to take our attention, trying to take our focus. I I knew in that moment yesterday it was a wise decision. I'm proud of myself. Good on you, Trey. I needed a guide. And I feel like we as a people, more than ever, need a guide. We just need a guide. If our world has taught us anything in the last two and a half years, it has taught us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy comes to divide. The enemy comes to destroy relationships, specifically in the body of Christ. If the the past two and a half years has taught us anything, it's taught us that. And so I'm, I'm asking the Lord to be our guide. As your shepherd, as your pastor, thank you for trusting me to lead you. But the reality is, this is the guide that we need. I can get so focused on what I'm passionate about, what I believe, that I forget to go to this. I, I can be passionate about good things. Things that help people. Healthy things. But I've still got to go to this. This is our guide. Can I at least get an amen in the room? I trust online you agree. That's why you're in the church. That's why you've come back. Not because you're looking for an echo chamber, not because you're looking for someone to validate opinions, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the washing of God's Word. One of the responsibilities I have as a pastor is to speak to contemporary issues with a sound biblical perspective. Historically, pastors have been stabilizing voices in our world, and it's often in times of paralyzing noise that the Lord will use pastors to speak and be a guide to his people, historically at least. I would like to briefly address the decisions of the Supreme Court I realize that for some of you, I'll say too much, and for others, I'll say too little. I have a wide audience standing before me today, filled with many wonderful people. In my flesh, I'm scared to death, because I love you all. But thankfully, I just don't have to please you today. I only have an audience of one. And if we can at least come to the table agreeing that the Bible is our source, then we can walk away in agreement today. Because what I'm I'm sharing with you is not a philosophy. It's not a political stance. It's not a tactic. It's not a new law or an old law. I'm just sharing the word of God. And if we can agree on that together, we're going to be good. All right? Here's what I'm offering to you today. I'm offering you my humility and my boldness. Here's what I'm not offering you. I'm not offering you my opinion because my opinion doesn't matter. Like my granny used to say, opinions are like butts. Everybody's got one and they all stink. I don't care about my opinion. I really don't even care about your opinion. I care about God's opinion, what his word says, and I just want to disciple you gently today and let the word wash over us, okay? I trust that you know my heart. I trust that you trust me. I trust that you trust God's word. I hope that you trust God's word because God's word will always bring unity to a people. Listen to me. Oh, this, this is a sermon Somebody take that down. That's a sermon I can shout about. God's word will always bring unity to a people. The enemy will always bring division to a people. Listen. God's word will bring division to your heart. God's word brings unity to others, division to yourself. It's called circumcision of the heart. God's word will cut away the flesh. God's word will divide you but not you from others. The enemy will unite you to you, but divide you from others. That's a lesson you could live on the rest of your life and get sound theology from. Here's my stance on the word. Where God's word is clear on an issue, we as a church will boldly proclaim it. Where God's word is clear, we will boldly proclaim it. I... Where God's word is unclear on an issue, we will look for principles in Scripture. Where there are no principles in Scripture, we will do what the Bible does. They call that unsettled disputes, okay, or disputable matters, rather. Where there are disputable matters, meaning you and I can hold different opinions and different ideas because the Bible isn't really clear on it, um, we do what Romans 14 tells us to do. You don't judge me, I don't judge you, and we both agree that we'll be accountable to God for our decisions, okay? Disputable matters. I'll give you some just to put it in perspective. Um, drinking alcohol, dis- disputable matter. It may be wrong for me, may be right for you, may be wrong for you, may be right for me. We're gonna let God judge you on that and God judge me on that, okay? That's an example of a disputable matter. Um, where God's word is clear, Jesus is the son of God, He died for our sins. He rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. We can't call ourselves a Christian and dispute that fact, okay? That is undisputable. God's word is clear on that. So I told you a couple of weeks ago that I'm really wrestling with, I'm kind of getting a hit double in the ring because I'm wrestling with this Barna study that says 37% of pastors hold a Biblical worldview, and um, so I've been the last few weeks really praying for my brothers and sisters in the Lord to come to reality that God's word is true. It is inerrant. It is infallible. And wrestling with that, and I now that that's been become a passion of mine. I'm seeing more and more how some of my brothers and sisters, meaning pastors and colleagues we've distorted the great commission and instead of making disciples we're making friends discipleship is actually training in the way of the kingdom the truth is any time you and i sit down with god's word there should be a circumcision that takes place in our heart if you're sitting down with god's word every time and it's just confirming what you already believe there's a problem there is a problem because God is constantly cutting away things and beliefs that we've, we've formed and frameworks that we have so that we look more and more like him. The truth is, we're all born into sin. I don't, I don't care if you were born with sexual addiction, you were born with alcoholism, you were born a liar, you were born addicted to drugs. We're all born into sin. That's why we all must be born again. This is the way to life. This life, this Christian life, it's not about being the best version of yourself. It's about letting God transform us into sons and daughters, kings and priests. Kings and priests. Hmm. Who would have thought themselves a king or a priest? God does. That's his goal for you to be a king and a priest do you know one day you're going to be at the throne and you're going to be a priest to god meaning you're going to be ministering to god as a priest and there's this thousand year millennium reign on earth where, where they're going to be humans and god for those of us who are surrendering to god and we're becoming kings and priests will be a priest in heaven but then on earth will be kings will be rulers over the earth god is preparing you to be a king and a priest. That's why you and I must be okay with circumcision of the heart. I love that we just so passionately sang this last song. And I hope we'll be able to sing that at the end because that's my goal is to bring us for us to land this sermon today at a place where we're laying aside all that we are and just surrendering to him. Thankfully, my sermon leaves an awful lot of diversity. It leaves room for an awful lot of thought. It leaves room for an awful lot of different opinions, strategies, methods. You you get my point. We can celebrate our differences while staying in unity. This sermon is not a left-wing or right-wing sermon. Quite honestly, I don't like the whole bird. I think it's got bird flu. The political machine is sick. As the shepherd, though, when society or culture collides with the concept God's word is clear on, I have the responsibility to take us to the word. Do you agree? I'm pretty sure if you've attended our church for any length of time, nothing I say here is going to be new to you. Father, I come before you. I thank you. God, what an awesome responsibility for a group of people to sit in your presence and to be shaped by your word, to lay our weapons down, to trust you and your word enough to make us one. As Jesus prayed, Lord, make us one. Let our hearts be committed toward unity at all cost, In Jesus' name I pray. Father, I just right now, any political spirit in the room, the Lord rebuke you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad. Our text goes to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I want to just make four points, four easy points. Points today on scripture that, that maybe you've not thought of. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Uh, the truth is, everyone in this sermon will have the option to get offended. You'll have the option and the opportunity. Every one of us. I've offended myself while writing this sermon. Um, but as I said, that's what God's word does. Amen. Text, text is John chapter one, verses one through five. In the beginning, oh, I have to say, this this really... I can't even think about the topic of of pro-choice life, abortion, adoption, any any of that without just thinking about how Jesus got here. You know, I just I am in love with the thought of how the word became flesh. Let's read it in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was he was in the beginning. With God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I just love the fact that Jesus, Jesus, before he was made flesh, he was. There was no beginning to Jesus Uh, before he came and settled on this earth and became a witness to us, became an example, became a savior to us. He already was. That's good news because no matter what trouble we face, no matter what unexpected things come our way, we serve a God who's not caught off guard. He didn't just show up on the scene yesterday. Even if you just said yes to him last year and your relationship with him is a year old, that's okay. He is an ageless God. He has ageless ability, and that's good news for you and I. The first point that I want to make with Scripture, and I'll take you there and I'll show you, and these four points I think are, are pretty cut and dry, but I would, I'm asking you to take this home and pray over it and, and then write your own conclusions on this. See what the Lord says to you about this, okay? Number one, uh, Scripture makes it pretty clear that unborn babies are human lives. Now I'm going to take you there and I'm going to show you, show you that. Um, unborn babies, meaning babies in the womb, are human lives. Well, we know they're not aliens. We know they're not dogs and cats, right? We know that they're human lives. Now... Um, I'm not getting into science, how science confirms that with the genetic code and the moment fertilization happens there is a complete DNA structure that is completely different from the mother and the father. It is a living organism that exists at fertilization that did not exist prior to fertilization. All right? Science confirms this, but that shouldn't surprise us. Science is late to the party. Everything theology has said from the foundations of time, science eventually confirms. And if they currently don't Don't confirm it. They've just not cut up to the party yet. You know? Um, And and by the way, uh, science and theology aren't at odds. They're very congruent. They actually support one another because God is the creator of science. Anyway, Psalm 139. Let's see what the Bible says about babies and uh, the human life. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, one of my favorite verses. For you created my inmost being... that lets us know that inside every womb is a baby that God himself is currently knitting together. Not only that, that it's a baby that God has already given purpose to and already numbered his or her days. The baby in the womb, according to this text, already has purpose and a destiny that is completely different from maybe similar to, but outside of, the mom and the dad. They have their own destiny. That's why, ladies, when you're pregnant, start speaking to the baby now. Let the baby listen to worship music. Like, just start speaking life over that baby into the womb. Moms, I'm sure it could feel weird. I don't know. I've never been pregnant, never will be pregnant. Uh, But I did talk to a big belly once or twice. Right? Because as a new dad, that was exciting to get to talk to your child in the womb. But listen, even in the womb, their little spirit is not a baby spirit. The Holy Spirit that is on their life is not a little bitty peanut holy spirit. It is a full size megatron holy spirit. That just kinda got me excited. It really is. I'm just gonna I'm gonna have pregnant women now on our prayer team because we have two Holy Spirits just praying for people. We also know that unborn babies are human lives because children in the womb can't actually be filled with Holy Spirit. The Bible says that. I'm not saying that. That's not my opinion. It's not some freaky, weird Pentecostal thing. The Bible actually says in Luke chapter 1, do you remember the story? Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she showed up and there was Elizabeth. And Elizabeth Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. And the Bible says that John the Baptist in the womb leaped as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He leaped in the womb. So we know that babies are humans alive in the womb because they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if dogs can get filled with the Holy Spirit or not. Pretty sure they can get filled with demons. <laughs> but babies in the womb can get filled with the Holy Spirit. That, hey, That's new prayer goals for all the grandparents in the room. Once you find out your child gets pregnant with a baby, start praying that they encounter Holy Spirit in your in row. That should be a new term. H-S-I-U. I don't know. Holy Spirit in utero. I don't know. Luke chapter 1 says, the babe leaped. Babe, babe. It's a a Greek word called brephos. Brephos, B-R-E-P-H-O-S. The baby in the womb, brephos, leaped because it was filled with the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, um, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus... Was a babe lying in a manger. Outside of the womb, he was a brephos, b-r-e-p-h-o-s. Scripture makes no distinction between a baby in the womb and a baby out of the womb. The Greek is the exact same Greek word. Now that's a big deal because listen, do you know how many Greek words there are for love? Five at least. Phileo, eros, agape. What am I missing? It just trust me, look it up, Google it. The Greek says what the Greek means, is the point. If it was a different version of human, it would have used a different Greek word. But John the Baptist in the womb is brephos, Jesus outside the womb is brephos. Babies in the womb are human lives, at least according to scripture. The second point, I don't think there's any, I don't think there is any disagreement on With anyone that I know, it's simply that Scripture states that murder is wrong. Maybe you can kill roaches and you can kill flies, I don't know, but when we're talking about humans, human beings, we don't have to look far in Scripture to know that murder is wrong. That's not really a debatable topic, right? Um, There are some issues beyond the concept of murder that might be debatable, such as, well, what about war? What about if someone breaks into your home? Is murder wrong, or is killing as self-defense justified? There are some uh, some other issues and tentacles that go into that that might be debatable, right? But we can at least agree today, here today, based on God's word, that murder is wrong. Proverbs 6:16 6, through 19 says there are six things the Lord hates: seven that are detestable to him: haughty eyes, a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Another example, Romans 13, 8 and 10, 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I preached on this verse recently. Man, that was a good sermon. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. God hates murder. Amen? The third point that we can agree on. The church is called to love and help hurting people. God commands us to help orphans and to help widows. When he gave the law to Moses and the Israelites, he gave instructions for how to treat the orphans and the widows that were among them. Um, And they actually had pretty harsh consequences if they failed to provide for them, if they failed in that responsibility. Now, in the New Testament, James says that taking care of orphans and widows is part of a religion that is pure Meaning, if you see a child without a dad or without a mom and you do nothing, check your religion because it's not pure. Caring for those in distress is not optional for followers of Jesus Christ, it's not optional. It's not when it's convenient. It's not if you have enough left over after you've taken care of your own. We are called to help everyone that we see in need. If you see a need, this is a dangerous slogan, but you can steal it if you want. It's what got me three additional kids. If you see a need and it's in your capacity to fill it or meet it, God's answer is always yes. The church already finances nearly every pregnancy center that's out there. For every abortion clinic in Texas, there are nine pregnancy centers funded by churches. Um, and, and I commit to you that our church will be stepping up our role in financially and practically caring for women who are pregnant and need assistance. I believe, I believe there are a lot of things that the government has had to do because the church wasn't meeting their responsibility. So it's time that we as a church see the need and meet the need. We don't kick the can down the road for someone else to pick it up. We see a need and we meet the need. It should be no surprise um, that the, the church, the global church, primarily, mostly is, is a pro-life organization, given what we've already talked about. But even being pro-life Let's not miss the opportunity to love people well. I, I watched a decision this week that I won't share my opinions on. And I have opinions. I have, I have actually too many opinions. The Lord is working with me on that. Um, but it honestly doesn't even matter what decisions are made in government. What matters is how the church responds always does the church come together or does the church come apart does the church see this as an opportunity to advance the gospel and the kingdom or do they see this as as an opportunity to get their way or to be bitter do you, do you know what i mean we can't let our emotions get so wrapped up in a government because the government is not your savior There's never been a better opportunity in my lifetime, at least, to love people well. Um, you can be biblical and not be Christ-like. You ever seen someone like that? They, they know the word and they are biblical, but they just don't seem like Jesus. <laughs> they just really don't remind you of, of a kind God. God. <laughs> You can be biblical without being Christ-like, but, but there's a new move of fake Christianity that convinces you you can be Christ-like without being biblical. And that's not true either. It takes, but Jesus was full of grace and truth. It's, it's both. It's doing the hard work, getting into scripture, surrendering your ideas and your thoughts and your political affiliations and your relationships all to Jesus. Let the the word of God cleanse you. And when you find the truth, you share it because you've got good news. But if it's not done in love, it's worthless. The church is called to love and help hurting people. Love requires honest conversations like we're having right now. I really honestly just wish I could have coffee with each and every one of you across from the table and hear your heart on this thing and you hear my heart and let's open the word of God together and go to it. Like that would be my ultimate desire. That's what discipleship really looks like. I'm doing the best I can in this context. So thank you for all the grace that you're giving me as I try to communicate this. But love requires hard conversations. You can love someone straight to hell, by the way. Every person that goes to hell is a person that God loves. Love is not enough to rescue someone from hell. Love isn't love... Love is not love if it does not add eternal value. If your love isn't getting someone to the proper eternal destination... It's not love. It's not just good, it's scary. Because I will stand before the throne of God and give account for love. And love will look kind. And love will look generous. And it will look like kind words and gentle words. And, and many of the things that we think love looks like, but love also will look an awful lot like truth. Love will lead people to the cross of Jesus. And my fourth point, which maybe you've never thought of before, this is one I've been leaning into a bit more as of late and studying a bit more because I know it's truth and I know it's a reality. I'm trying to wrap my brain around it and see what the Lord is calling me to do regarding this. But the fourth point is God judges nations. Now, we exercise our Christian values and our civic duties, not just so that our voice can be heard, but because we know that God judges nations. This is why we do things like vote, serve in the PTO, uh, go, go help the police, go help the education, go help the... Do you know what I mean? We, we see someone building low-income housing. You show up with a trunk full of food. Like, we do these things in our civic world, because we understand that God judges nations. And I'm not sure that we all get that. I'm not sure that we all understand that the government is not our savior. Many well-meaning, God-fearing people are led by a political spirit rather than Holy Spirit. Hear me, church, you can't legislate people into Christianity. I would love if America was truly a Christian nation, but that doesn't happen by passing laws. It happens by touching hearts. But the reason, biblically, that our civic involvement should reflect our values, our Christian values, is that God judges nations. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. God is not a judgy God. He's a graceful God. I I know, I hear what you're saying. But Jesus didn't die for nations. He died for individuals. Listen, this this is a fundamental concept that we all need to understand. The grace of God is applied to an individual, a heart that is surrendered and yielded to him. Jesus didn't die to save America. Jesus didn't die to save Zimbabwe. Didn't die to save Haiti. Nations are judged totally different than individuals. You have the premier luxury of walking in grace. Nations don't. God judges nations. We can read the Bible and see how God judges Israel all the time. I am so glad I was not raised in Israel in Bible times because they just constantly were messing up and getting judged by God. God judges nations. And we know that God judges Gentile nations, which is what America would be, by two things. Scripture is very clear on this. I'll take you to it, actually. First God would bless or curse a Gentile nation depending on how it treated Israel. God told Abraham, the the progenitor of Israel, the, the founder, the original, the OG, the original guy. He said, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. God's promise to bless or curse was based on an unconditional covenant that started with Abraham and extended to his descendants' forever. The covenant that God made, there's there's a replacement theology out there that's bad. It says that the church has become Israel. That's absolutely false. It's not true. And specifically, we know that we can demolish that argument. Genesis 17, 7, it says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. What is an everlasting covenant? How long does an everlasting covenant last? Everlasting. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. Now listen, I'm not at all suggesting that Israel does everything right. Israel's government is as guilty and nasty as all of American government. Government just stinks. Can I, I hope we all just agree on that. Government's nasty. If you work in government, first of all, you don't stink. You are not nasty and we need you there. But as a whole, I don't trust government. And just because Israel has a name that I'm fond of because God is blessed, it doesn't mean I think they do everything right. Don't kid yourself. But I do believe that God's word shows an everlasting covenant. And those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. So God will judge nations based on who blesses and who curses Israel. The second way that a Gentile nation could be blessed or cursed is depending on whether they pursue godly virtues or wickedness. How the people behave collectively has results on the city or nation. In our context, it would be the laws that we, the people, support and pass will pass over or under the throne of God. And those which uphold his righteousness will be blessed. Those which uphold wickedness will bring cursing on a nation. The Lord told Jeremiah at one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot it, to pull it down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I'm planning to bring on it. So if a nation legislates things that are against righteousness, God will bring judgment on the nation. That's just Bible. I'm not saying you have to agree with me on what's righteous or what's unrighteous. I'm just simply saying, if God's not pleased with the laws of the land, we're going to hear about it. No, I don't, I don't care for us to legislate Christianity. God's not a desperate lover. He doesn't need us to make all Americans bow to him. His love is drawing them. But what I do care about is ensuring that the laws that we pass are something pleasing and and a favorable incense to God. Because whether I have grace on my life or not, I live in America. And if America sees the judgment of God in my family will experience the judgment of God. I'm done. As Christians, let me just tell you this. God calls us to share the gospel of Christ. First Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. And Mark 16, 15. And to make disciples, which we've done today. We're making disciples. That's what this looks like. Uh, By the way, making disciples doesn't mean you just listen. Making disciples means you get to ask me questions. And you get to tell me you, you have problems with something I've said. And we get to sit down over coffee that you pay for. And read the Bible together. That's what discipleship looks like, okay? It's not the pastor gets to unload and now just throws all of this in your lap. And you get to go home and wonder what to do with it. No, this is the beginning of a dialogue that you and I get to have. That's what discipleship is. We're never called to form a nation. There's nothing in the New Testament that even hints at such a project. Rather, we are to learn God's word and to live as he directs. In this way, God may use us to help shape a nation in godly ways, which will influence its educational, political, economic, and social views. We are, after all, to be a light to the world. Father, I come before you today. God, I thank you that you're so gentle with us. God, your word is so clear in in so many areas of life. And and I know that sometimes I myself have kicked against the goads. I know that I myself have fought against what you've said was the highest and best for me. But God, you're just gracious. You're just gentle and you're just kind. And you meet us where we are. God, I sense in the room that there are many of us that just wanna just lay down a political idol that we've been carrying. It doesn't mean that our ideals are wrong. It doesn't mean that we believe the wrong thing, but we've just, we've just elevated politics more than you, Lord. God, I ask that you would let us have the courage right now to lay it down. To just make room for you. Whatever you want to do in us, Jesus, let us lay lay down our idols that we've been carrying, that we've been holding on to, our agendas, our philosophies, and let us just get back to your word. Let it wash over us today and let us make a fresh commitment that wherever we land in this thing, we may... We may find we have the same beliefs and that's okay. But we want a different heart, Jesus. There's no point in proving to the world that we're right if our heart is rotten. So God, we make space and room for you. In Jesus' name. Can we stand together and just collectively just lay down any political idols that we've been carrying and just repent? That we have elevated politics. We have sought salvation in a government. We have, we have thought that legislation was going to fix it. When there's nothing but Jesus that's going to fix it. That's worship. Some news for us. Every government on earth is going to fall. Every government, every nation. The end of days, the end of time, there will be only one king, King Jesus. Maybe you've not said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've not received him as your. Lord and Savior. Maybe you've not put your faith, your belief in the fact that Jesus died for you. He really did. He died for you to take the weight of your sin. Scripture tells us he became sin. He didn't become a sinner. He became sin. He became literally that thing which is separating you from God. He became that on the cross and he conquered it through his death and his resurrection so that you and I can be in relationship with him. There are a lot of worthy, noble causes in the world to fight for and to believe in, but there's only one that will stand. It's the cause of Christ. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe you're coming back home. Maybe you're ready to get serious. Maybe you look around and you see the direction this world is headed and you know know the time is now the time is now to say yes to commit your life to him if that's you if you're ready to say yes to jesus will you just wave at me so i know who i'm praying for thank you thank you thank you three anyone else three is a good number anyone else if you're watching online watch you go ahead and place your hand on your heart those in the room they wrote raise your hand place your hand on your heart and we're going to join you because we're family and that's what family does and we're in this together this is the biggest moment of your life and you say a simple prayer there's no formula to it I'll lead you in it you say heavenly father heavenly
1: father
0: i know i'm a sinner
1: i know i'm a sinner i thank you i thank you
0: that you sent jesus
1: that you sent jesus to die on a
0: cross for me to die
1: on a cross for me. i
0: believe he was enough I believe he rose again.
1: I believe he rose again.
0: I surrender my life to you.
1: I surrender my life to you. From this you. moment forward. From this moment forward. My life will never be the same. My life will never be
0: the same. In Jesus'
1: name. In Jesus'
0: name. Amen. 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 Can we celebrate, church? So good. So if you're one of the three in the room or online, you just said yes to Jesus, you can text NEXT N E X T to 512-980-1220. We want to walk this journey with you, get you baptized, get you discipled, get you in the word, get you growing. In Jesus' name, amen.